it's dangerous to go alone, so take this fully automated tank. Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast where three brothers that know nothing about video games tells you everything they know about video games. I'm Jackson, and I swear this Korok was already like this. I'm Jordan, and you probably didn't recognize me because of the right arm. I'm Jason, and my other car is a block of wood with a bunch of fans glued on. Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is held up as one of the boldest video games ever made. It was a significant departure from the Zelda franchise, but was met with tremendous critical and commercial success. Naturally, when a sequel was announced, fans were skeptical of how it could live up to its predecessor. But now, Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom is here, and we're going to tell you all about it. Let's get into it. So I'm going to say something that I've been thinking since like five hours into this game. I'm not, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm not going to do a whole bunch of stalling before we tell you whether or not the game is good because it is, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to get it right out of the gate. This is one of the best sequels I have ever played. Like I have been absolutely blown away with this game pretty much since like leaving the tutorial island (laughs) like even that was great but from like the minute i hit the ground on i have just been i've had so much fun with this game i have to say i was really surprised but this is also one of the least sequely sequels i've ever played (laughs) (laughs) yeah generally when you're playing like a sequel to something the gameplay is almost exactly the same and it's just the story is different or They try to mix things up, but at the heart of it, it still feels like the same game. I think, and it's almost entirely due to just changing the runes that you get in this game, I think Tears of the Kingdom feels very different from Breath of the Wild in a way that I was very surprised by. I don't know how this game exists. Care to explain, (laughs) or are you just going to leave it at that? (laughs) I said what I said. Like, silicone with electricity (laughs) through it make a video game? That's not real. What is a Wi-Fi? Why can't Metroid crawl? I I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it is sort of an anomaly because in a lot of ways, Breath of the Wild is still like the biggest game we've seen on the Switch before this one. And it already kind of felt like it was doing everything it could. And I know that developers, they learn the consoles over the course of a console generation and the games you get at the beginning are totally different than what you get at the end. But, I mean, admittedly, the visuals are pretty similar, but mechanically, everything on this game is turned up to 11 in a way that I was not anticipating whatsoever. Like, a month ago, or two months ago, whatever, I thought this game was just going to be Breath of the Wild, but with, like, a new set of maps and, you know, a different story quest taking you through them. I was not expecting such a fundamental shift. Yeah, like, I knew we'd have Sky Islands. I didn't know I'd be able to build a tank and torture Koroks. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If you would have told me that was going to be in the sequel to Breath of the Wild, I would have said, I I wouldn't have said anything. I would have just walked away. (laughs) I would have been like, I think it would be really funny if we just keep referring to it as the sequel to the Breath of the Wild. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's all Nintendo knew how to do until like three or four months before the game came out. Yeah, this game was announced in 2019. We didn't know the title until like, what, February or March of 2023? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, it's also weird because I was expecting the, the title to be some tremendous spoiler, but it really doesn't tell you anything without the context of the game to explain why it's called that. So uh, It tells you that the kingdom is crying true true because it's sad yeah yeah we so it gave the title gave away this game was going to have some conflict in it (laughs) yeah but i guess a little bit of set dressing before we dive too far in so you're probably familiar with breath of the wild this is uh you know a open world zelda game link is tasked with saving princess zelda from calamity ganon this evil force that has overtaken hyrule in the end he succeeds because it's a nintendo game and goes on to uh, just kind of live happily ever after in Hyrule for exactly six years. <laughs> now, as uh, some creepy darkness is finding its way into the kingdom from below Hyrule Castle, 
uh, Zelda and Link are investigating and come across a mummified corpse and a floating hand. <laughs> and uh, upon investigating it, some stuff goes down. The corpse comes to life. The hand attaches itself to Link and Zelda disappears. And that's sort of all the setup you get before you're dropped on an island in the sky with no clothes and only a broken sword. Uh, did I miss any important story beats from the first five minutes of the game? Um, Link has a cool new shirt. And by that, I mean he's wearing the <laughs> same shirt, but he put a he put some like leather armor on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of so stuff changed. His one shoulder is protected. <laughs> yeah. He's ready to take a hit from one very specific angle. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the best way to sort of talk about this game is to talk about sort of those first couple of hours because it has a lot in common with Breath of the Wild in some ways, and it's totally different in some other ways. I think the biggest being that Breath of the Wild started you off in the Great Plateau, which is like the most iconic location from Breath of the Wild in my mind. And it was this, it was like this microcosm of the entire game. It showed you basically everything you needed to know about how Breath of the Wild was going to work. It lets you explore. It showed you how the shrines worked. It gave you some new powers to, to play around with. It gave you some puzzles to solve, some people to help, you know, here and there. Just, I guess it's basically just the king. It but, showed you like some of the game's more complex systems, like. Uh, the heat and cold system. Yeah. Specifically with like the mountain at the top that's completely frozen. Yep. It taught you about climbing and using the world around you and its resources. And it was it was this like perfect example of what the game was shrunk down to like a three or four hour experience. This game's start is sort of that, <laughs> but it's a much more structured experience this time around. And I think that that serves it well and is also a kind of a hindrance right out of the gate. Like, those first couple of hours, I didn't know what I was getting into. Yeah, while in Breath of the Wild, it was more about learning resources and how the game functions, I feel like in Tears of the Kingdom, it was much more about how to use the new runes than how to, like, manage resources and all that. Which I guess that's something that's worth pointing out before we even get into those runes. This game pretty much assumes you've already played Breath of the Wild and you already, like, get it. <laughs> it doesn't do it nearly as much onboarding for the basic mechanics, which Breath of the Wild was already a mechanics-heavy game. But this game kind of just lets you loose <laughs> and uh, shows you where to go to solve some to, to solve some. Uh, shrines to get your your new powers. I think that it it kind of does the same onboarding, but it makes it a lot more optional. Like you'll run into robots all over the Sky Island in the intro, but if you don't choose to talk to them, you don't have to. Like there's a guy right. that'll teach you how to cook, but if you're like, okay, I already know how to cook, you don't need to talk to that guy. <laughs> I still talk to him anyways because I'm nice. Same jerk. <laughs> Oh, okay, yeah. you did speak to him. Never mind, I, personally I take it think, back. I think the Sky Island basically fulfills the exact same purpose as the Great Plateau. Uh, I mean, it has those temperature systems that you're forced to deal with because one of the shrines is in a cold area. But it does also spend, I think, a greater amount of time explaining how the runes work. But it also really needed to because... Right. You know, the runes in this game are a lot more complex than the yes. runes in Breath of the Wild. I mean, yeah. Breath of the Wild, you had make a block of ice, make a bomb, make a bomb, but this time it's square, <laughs> uh, and freeze time on one thing in particular. Yeah, and all of those are gone this time around. That was That really surprised me. I figured that the new runes were going to slot in on top of those, and at first, I really missed those old powers. But by a couple hours in, I was just thinking, like, no, what we have is more than enough. <laughs> I am already, fixed, like, yeah. I am they, so they capable the without that. They fixed the balance in a way that you don't need the old runes in a right. lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I the I do miss Cryonis quite a bit. It is annoying to get across water if you don't, like, build a vehicle. See, I yeah. was thinking the opposite. I don't, like, I feel like there's enough to replace Cryonis and definitely the bombs because bomb flowers are back. Uh, Stasis is really the only one that I feel like there isn't any sort of replacement for. 
Yeah, there's no one-to-one version of stasis. Yeah. There, You can do similar things with the rewind ability, recall ability, but it's not on that same level where people were launching themselves across the map at 100 miles an hour because they like froze a rock and then hit it with a hammer a bunch of times then climbed on it like there's nothing like that uh well, you don't need to anymore right because you can stick a rock to a plank <laughs> of wood and travel just as quickly <laughs> yeah so let's kind of break down those those new runes so uh probably the the one that's used in my opinion the least as like an intentional mechanic but the most with how i play is the recall ability which basically just means that you can make an object repeat whatever it did for the last like 20 seconds or something like that. So if something flies to the air, you hit it with recall, it flies back, which sounds pretty basic, but you can do some pretty wild stuff with that. Like you can use it to, uh, if someone's throwing something at you, you could just pause time, uh, recall it and it throws back at them. One thing I would like to do early on was, enemies would roll giant spike balls down hills and you can just roll it right back up the hill at them. <laughs> or you can, you know, uh, lift something in the air, let it fall, stand on it, recall it, and use it as an elevator. Like, it has a lot of uses right out of the gate, even though I think it's probably the one that's used the least in terms of, like, you have to use this to progress the critical path. I think the uh, the best use is whenever you accidentally drop a flying machine off of a sky island and... You want to get it back. <laughs> yeah, I've used it a handful of times just to like undo something stupid I did, like accidentally activating a vehicle I wasn't on or stuff like that. There's definitely been a few situations where I've had to like jump off of a sky island and try to land on something that fell off so I can recall <laughs> it back to the top. <laughs> yeah. So next is an ability called Ascend, which basically means you can shoot up through the ceiling onto the next level of something. So anytime that there is a flat-ish surface within probably, like, what, 50 feet above you, you can use Ascend. You'll just fly straight up into it, go all the way through up to the next level. This one doesn't sound like it's going to be that useful because it is it is kind of restrictive in terms of the exact distances and heights you can use it at. But this is easily the most manipulatable ability in the game. Like, I have gotten through so many important parts in dungeons by building something really tall, ascending to it, and then ascending through the roof of the room from there. Yeah, you can just be in a cave that's, like, too tall, and you're like, oh, I can't ascend. And then you just stand on top of one box, and now you're on top of a mountain. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty crazy how far you can go with this one. Oh, one I almost completely forgot about is Fuse, which uh, doesn't have as big of ramifications in terms of how you like traverse the world or anything, but it totally changes up combat in a way that I really, really appreciate. Uh, fuse basically means that you can take any item you're holding, which, which could be sword, shield, bow, whatever, and you can attach it to any other item in the world or any other movable item in the world. Uh, that means you can put two swords together um, for whatever reason. Or you can put a sword on the end of a spear and now it has triple the range. Put a or... bomb on a shield and when you go the shield surf, you just, you just you know, are now flying. <laughs> yeah. You can use it for really basic stuff like bettering your weapons, or you can use it for absolutely insane things like attaching a minecart to your shield and using it as a skateboard. <laughs> like, it, it's pretty crazy what you can do if you're willing to experiment with it. Because you can attach basically any one item to any other item. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, there is that the most broken of the abilities, Ultra Hand. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Ultra Hand lets you pick up items and just stick them together. Not like weapons, not like the fuse mechanic, although I guess it is very similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, This is more like gluing them together, but somehow it also works for electronics. (laughs) Yeah. Basically, you can find a wheel, attach it to a board, and now you have, you know, a car. A board with a wheel on it. Yeah. You can attach four wheels to a board and then you can ride around on it. Uh, and the, the limits to this are yet to be seen. 
I've seen people build crazy, you know, vehicles and flying machines and robots and forklifts. Uh, forklifts for some reason <laughs> and uh death traps uh that you could just put over an enemy and shoot and suddenly the enemy is hit with like 10 lasers and flamethrowers and bombs and it's crazy how far people have gone with this i mean there's probably no point in us telling you this because you've probably seen it plastered all over social media just how insane people are going with this game You've also I mean, probably seen the horrendous things people have done to Koroks because of this. Yeah. Yeah. The worst I've done personally is attached a rocket to one <laughs> thinking it would shoot up to its friend and instead just flew into the stratosphere. <laughs> the the first my first instinct when I saw a Korok was I have to crucify this. And then I found out I was not the only one who thought this. There have been some pretty heinous things done to the Koroks these last couple of weeks. And for that, we sincerely apologize, <laughs> Korok. I don't. Uh, it's it's, it's yeah. a little weird. I, I mean, like, I get wanting to torture the Koroks because of how annoying they were in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> it is weird that so many people <laughs> instantly went to crucifying them. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty wild first pass, in my opinion. Like, it'd be one thing if they were attaching them to weapons or putting them on a boat to send out to sea or whatever. But no, they were just immediately like, I am going to put them on a cross and burn the cross. I never burned the cross. I want to point that out. I never did that. It's not my yeah. fault. He's Yeah, that's one step too far. It's not my fault that the game put a bunch of logs in front of me. Yeah. Yeah, it's... This game is absolutely outrageous. And I think... What's really, really special about Ultra Hand, because there have been other games that have had this kind of sandboxy building mechanic. What's really special about this one is two things. One, the barrier to entry for that building is incredibly low. You do not have to be incredibly skilled or incredibly creative to make something cool. Like, I am someone that struggles with sandbox games because I'm just not creative in that way, but I've still made things that are incredibly fun to use. And the second thing is that this game is a fully-fledged sandbox, but it's also an incredibly fleshed-out game, even if you don't engage with that part of it whatsoever. It is wild how much is on display here, even totally separate from all the crazy building. This is what I mean when I say I don't know how this game exists. There's so much in this game that if you break out into pieces, like just the sandbox... AAA studios can still get horrendously wrong. This game manages to put like five different types of games in the one and get each one of them perfectly right. And I, I don't know how they do that. And they do it with very minimal performance issues. I just think it's kind of interesting that like seeing a functional, fun to use sandbox is so uncommon mm -hmm. that like the only games I can think to compare it to, at least in that aspect, are Gary's Mod. <laughs> And Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. <laughs> so this game is whatever those were. But uh, yeah. there's actually a, there's another whole game on top of that, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And what's crazy is, like, I do think the biggest improvements from Breath of the Wild to Tears of the Kingdom do come from the things we've already talked about with these runes. But I also think that just the rest of the game, the map design, the quest, the new dungeons... All of that stuff is also a huge improvement. Like, everything about this game is better in some way. They removed a lot of the things that frustrated me with the original, or at the very least, introduced new systems that improved them, and then they made everything I liked, like, way better, just because they weren't building an engine from the ground up this time around. They already had that. They already had the world. They already had the, the materials here, and they built something that improves upon the original in basically every way. And I don't know that there's like any other sequels I can say that about. Because even games with great sequels like uh, God of War to Ragnarok, there was still like a sameness there that's just gone with this game. Yeah, I played, I played Breath of the Wild. I did a playthrough of it, probably finished it about a week before this came out. Maybe not even that much. And it, it doesn't even feel like I'm playing the same game at all the only thing that feels remotely similar is just the normal combat but because of all the new things with it because of fuse it just feels completely different i think a big part of that and this is gonna sound weird is just like staff retention because the people that made tears of the kingdom are largely the same people that made 
the original Legend of Zelda like 40 years ago. So it's a lot of people that have been working with each other for a long time, have been working period for a long time. And then it's the same people that made Breath of the Wild. So like they already know what makes that engine tick, basically. <laughs> like yeah. they already knew how to do, you know, all the basic stuff that you need to make a game. So they just got to kind of go wild and make new stuff that like no one else would even really think of for a game like this. Yeah. For me, the reason that I didn't always vibe with Breath of the Wild wasn't necessarily anything to do with the like critical path itself because I really enjoyed the main story and the four like major quests that made up made it up and it, it was just that the side quest didn't feel especially inviting and I felt like it took a little bit too long to get from place to place and I felt like there wasn't like the map was huge and there was a lot on there but it didn't always pan in you know it didn't always pan out like there could you could see something in the distance and go to it thinking it's something cool and it's just like a monster den with like four enemies in it and like that's fine but it just didn't it didn't hit me the same way this game does where the side quests are a lot more engaging with more colorful and interesting characters you can get around the map so much faster between new abilities and being able to launch yourself out of the towers and all that stuff. And then just like everywhere you look, there's something to find. And now even like, even like the enemy camps are tighter and have more stuff in them. And there's more useful long-term items hidden around the map instead of it just being like, you know, resources that would weapons that would break or money or whatever like there is a lot to find in this game that is actually going to improve how link plays in, in pretty cool ways like i've found way more armor and stuff in this game than i ever did in breath of the wild i think there just is more armor in this game too though yeah which i probably put a little too much emphasis on the armor because that's like the one thing that you can improve in a very video gamey way like, you find an armor piece, then you can go and craft it to make it better. Like, I really like that kind of thing. And Breath of the Wild wasn't very traditional in its progression systems and its its gameplay loop. Whereas, like, I, I, I see that's good. Like, I recognize that is an objectively good thing when a game shakes up traditional gameplay systems. But it just didn't, like, really draw me in. Whereas... Tears of the Kingdom is really drawing me in because everywhere I look, I'm finding something that was worth finding. Mm -hmm. It's a really unique game, and I feel like every part of it serves every other part. Like everything that you can do with the runes and in the sandbox makes the RPG, you know, adventure part of the game better. Yeah, for sure. And everything that you gain by doing that adventure, you know, whatever, generally you're going to run into new things that you can build with or new weapons or new materials that you can fuse together. Like everything meshes together in such a cool and interesting way. I really can't think of any other game like it. Um, and then on top the of that, the only other game like it is breath of the wild. Yeah. Uh, and this is even on a 10 times farther level than that was. I also, I think everything's a bit better balanced this time too. Like the abilities that you get, from doing the main story in this game are not as broken as the abilities in breath of the wild were right because like breath of the wild had one ability that was just objectively better than all the others. And that was Rivali's Gale, which shot you into the air. You don't need that now because there's other stuff in the game that makes it easy to get way up in the air. You can summon a hot air balloon on command. <laughs> like Yeah. <laughs> or you can build a jet yeah. and then just throw it up in the air and jump on. Yeah, I I think that this time around, uh, I've I've actively engaged with the powers I've found more than I did in the first game. In the first game, the only ones I regularly used were, you know, the air boost and then the shield. But the only used I only used the shield because it was automatic. <laughs> Whereas in this game, you know, I I've only found three of the four, but they all work together really well, and they all have different implications for combat not just for exploration and stuff and, and i really appreciate that i also think the abilities in this game are better because they don't like wholly change the way you get around the world so none of them feel like super mandatory yeah but they do like alleviate some of the stress and burdens of having to travel right right 
you can get around a little faster or you can get through certain obstacles with a little you know without having to use as many resources or things like exactly. that exactly they're uh they're they're Definitely one of the things that I think has made just the general combat experience and the general exploration experience a little bit better. And like I think that those were some of the things that put it just over the hump where like I think that I'm really vibing with this game where I didn't before. I guess let's talk a little bit about the main story structure here because it actually is really similar to Breath of the Wild in that regard. You know, you have this big tutorial area that teaches you the ropes, gets you your new powers, and sends you on your way. And then you have, like, a short quest line that's just giving you more context on what has happened and showing you around a little bit. But then you're set to branch off, and you need to go help the four different societies of Hyrule. And that part is exactly like Breath of the Wild. You need to go help the the Ritos and the Zora and the Gorons and the Gerudo. And that's sort of the setup for you know, whatever's coming in the end. I haven't gotten there yet. But I think that basically every aspect of how you engage with those four quests is better this time around. I think that they are more narratively interesting. I think they give you more diverse challenges along the way. And I think they manifest in dungeons that are 10 times better than the Divine Beasts were in Breath of the Wild. I've been very, very impressed with like the main story here. And that's only been probably 20% of the time I've spent with the game. I never disliked <laughs> the Divine Beasts like a lot of people in uh, with Breath of the Wild did. But like they weren't great by any means. It is a huge step up in this game just from the one dungeon I did. Yeah, I will say uh, I don't necessarily think... I don't think the dungeons themselves are all that great. I think what kind of makes the dungeons more interesting is the lead up to them Mm -hmm. uh which you know i I don't want to get into like spoilers or anything too much about that but like there is generally for every dungeon an actual kind of quest and a part of that quest is just getting to the dungeon right which you know it involves exploring areas that you couldn't get to until you started that quest essentially and those areas are interesting and fun and they have like a good mix of enemies and puzzles where you actually kind of have to think about things. Yeah. As well as kind of introducing you to the stuff that you're going to run into in the dungeons. The dungeons themselves are a bit too short and similar. They all basically just, they're, they're exactly like the Divine Beast where it's just get to this place and then use an ability. It, it They do all sort of share this concept of you need to open a thing and there are a handful of locks and you need to use whatever your new power is to open each lock. And I think that this is one of the places where the new powers are kind of hurting the game a little bit because there are ways to completely circumvent certain puzzles and using ascend in unexpected places or just making structures bigger than the game was accounting for (laughs) have helped me to just totally bypass some puzzles that would otherwise require some actual thought and it's on me for taking that route but at the same time i kind of i i don't think so i strongly disagree when you're making and i i think that this game is an immersive sim you know like I think it checks all the boxes of, you know, you have however many ways you want to go about solving any problem and you're given a set of tools that you can use in, you know, a myriad of ways to do things that the developers definitely weren't expecting. I think this game's dungeons are not designed with the runes full capacity, like full abilities in mind. Mm -hmm. I think they're designed with like a really intro level understanding of how they all work. But if you know how to kind of like break them at all you can easily skip past a lot of the puzzles one of the dungeons i was able to do just because i used ascend and i skipped to the last thing that you were supposed to do because <laughs> this dungeon was a little bit more linear yeah and then i just went backwards and the puzzles are mostly designed so if you go at it the normal way you have to do a bunch of work to get around an obstacle but if you go in you know the back way it's just like move this out of the way <laughs> yeah and i do think and i i don't feel like i had to go out of my way or do anything all that crazy to completely break the dungeon i i think that the things that i did to break that dungeon were things that the game taught me how to do in other areas 
Yeah, yeah, that that's definitely fair. Like, there have also been some shrines that I've completely just circumvented the puzzle by just, like, carrying an object instead of sending it through, like, a maze or something like you're expected to. And mm-hmm. that doesn't feel like as big a deal because there's, like, 150, 152 shrines. So, like, it doesn't feel like as much of a loss if you can just, like, cheat your way through one of those. But the fact that there are just kind of glaring ways to get around doing puzzles the way they're meant to be done in the dungeons is kind of a bummer like as much as i appreciate this new formula i think there's always going to be a part of me that really really wants traditional zelda dungeons just where there is a fixed way to solve every problem you have to use new tools with you know in in combination with your previous ones to figure out new ways to interact with the world And, and i don't think this game quite has that just because you can kind of bypass <laughs> a lot of the problems you face if you build the right thing or you ascend through something they're not expecting you to or or whatever. That being said, I yeah. still think it's a huge improvement over Breath of the Wild. Like I think that visually and mechanically this the 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 story stuff is on a whole different level. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely an improvement over Breath of the Wild. It's decided I don't feel like the dungeon itself I feel personally that the trek to the dungeon does a lot of the heavy lifting. And if you got rid of that, then the dungeons would maybe even be worse than the ones in Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Sometimes you take the trek before you even realize it's part of the dungeon. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's... I I feel like that's on you, man. (laughs) The story you were telling, I was just like, it's pretty obvious that you're doing story stuff. You can get to the dungeons before you actually are required to get to them in the story. You can't finish them because you're missing a crucial power needed, but you can just go straight to the dungeons if you really wanted to, which is something I find kind of funny. Except for the water one. Yeah, that one That one actually does require some straight up just stuff changing on the map to get you where you need to go. That said, I think the new abilities, oh, we already talked about it. They're all cool. So I want to set something up, but I don't want to get too into it because I think it's... Even at a concept, it's kind of a spoiler, but I also think the game's been out long enough now that most people that are engaging with the game on any level have definitely been there. So it's not just that there are these sky islands covering Hyrule. There are also the depths where you go below Hyrule, and it's way, way bigger than I ever imagined. They are these massive maps that are completely covered in darkness, and you have to navigate to certain beacons around the map in order to light them up so that you can see and so that you can access the map. And, and just just you need to find these beacons to sort of get your bearings about what's going on. And I think that for all of the new, like brand new concepts in the game, other than maybe the new runes, this is the one I've been the most impressed with. I think the underground is way bigger and way more, exp- you know, way more detailed than I ever would have expected something like this to be. The first time I went down there, I was thinking it was just going to be for like the one quest and it was just going to be, you know, one area, but it's almost the entire map repeated again underground. (laughs) I think it is the entire map. I mean, it's pretty dang close to it. There are certain areas that are like mountainous and you can't go, you can't, it's not as much surface area, but I do think like it stretches out the full width and height of the map. Yeah, you can actually configure your map so you're looking at the top level while you're down there. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's, it's pretty crazy. It's huge. Yeah, and there is a lot down there. The most intriguing part, too, is that they never told us at all that the depths were going to be a thing in this. That was yeah, left out of every single not... pre-release marketing anything. Yeah, no promotional material mentioned this in the slightest. None of the gameplay they'd shown prior to launch. They didn't let people that got their hands on the game early go down there. <laughs> like, they kept this completely under wraps, which I was really impressed by. Like, I love when a game has some crazy change like that that you just don't see coming. I think the last one that really shocked me was the fact that in God of War Ragnarok, there's a whole other playable character that's not even mentioned in the promotional material before the game comes out like it's it's always wild when a game just drops something like that and you had no idea it was coming (laughs) i don't want to get too into what is actually down there though partially for spoilers for people listening but also partially because 
I don't think either of you have explored as much of it as I have, and I don't want to spoil anything for y'all either. <laughs> I did spend yeah. like the first eight hours or so basically just down there, but I have not really been down there since because I've spent the last 12 hours on the overworld. Yeah. I mean, it's it's massive. Honestly, one of the things that was almost as surprising as how big the underground was was how small the Sky Islands are. <laughs> like, I think they served the game well, but I was expecting the Sky Islands to be like way, way bigger and the underground to not be a thing at all. But I'm kind of I'm kind of glad it's divided up like it is. The Sky Islands are cool. They're a huge hassle to explore, though. Yeah, they're very vertical. I basically got to a point where I started leaving the uh, travel medallion on whatever island I was exploring. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to do it. And then when I inevitably fell off a couple of times, it came in handy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the islands are definitely harder to get to and between. <laughs> um, they're They're very spaced out. There's a lot of verticality. There's not a whole lot of... There's there's less stuff on the on the floating islands than I expected. Like uh, I found one the other day. Uh, it took me a while to get up there because I had to ride on a, a falling platform and I had to do that a couple of times and I had to end up using ascend on something when that wasn't even enough. I finally get onto this island and it was like three hydrants or something. It was like one building material and it wasn't even that many of it. It was very strange. Um, I mean, for the most part, they have a shrine or, you know, some, you know, unique items or whatever. But there have been a few I've found that just were just kind of there. <laughs> I thought it was interesting how much of the Sky Islands are just, there is one chest with, you know, like a secret item in it. Yeah. And most of the times that secret item is just a map to somewhere else. Uh, one shrine and usually some building materials yeah it doesn't really feel like the sky islands are ever really like important to like your progression yeah yeah i mean whereas i feel like if you spend a lot of time in the depths your character you're gonna collect enough stuff that's gonna make you noticeably stronger right you're gonna get better items because you know up up on the top level everything all the weapons at least have been decayed by you know ganondorf's power but in the depths for the most part you'll find a lot of completely pristine weapons yeah and they take longer to break and sometimes they do more damage or they have like better abilities on them uh the sky islands other than you know i guess the parts you can get from the robots you'll run into up there there's really not anything game changing yeah i mean that that's a fair way to, to put it I think the only times that I've done anything that was, like, really, really cool in the Sky Island were the intro to the game and then the two dungeons that I've done that are, you know, at least partially in the sky. And I think that that, that stuff's cool, but it does feel a bit underutilized compared to how massive the other two maps in the game are. Yeah, I'd especially when I feel like the Sky Islands were really put forward as, like, the big thing in this right, game. Right, right. <laughs> Like, that was what was all over the promotional material. All this stuff was showing the islands, Link flying between them, all that stuff. I guess one thing we didn't explain super well is sort of what we mean by building materials. Because it's really two different things. You have building materials as in, you know, wooden boards and metal plates and stuff that's literally used to build buildings. And there's a lot of that stuff. Then you got the Zonai devices, which are... right. Uh, they, they are a lot of stuff. They can be wheels. They can be big wheels. Uh, they can be rockets. They can be stakes that make stuff stick into whatever. They can just be a, they can just, just be a plane. that John Mulaney bit about iced tea now. <laughs> I don't even remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. They, it's the craziest variety of things. You got fans and fire or flamethrowers and rockets and, you can make all sorts of wild stuff and you can also find some, you know, some pretty essential things for building certain objects. Like you can find what is effectively an already made base of a plane. So all you need to add onto it is whatever you're using it, you know, whatever you're using for your, uh, propulsion. propulsion. Like it's, it's already there and you can even find joysticks that you can use to attach to one item that will then control all the other items attached to that item. So you can, you know, 
take a stone slab, put four wheels on it. If you attach a joystick, that joystick now controls those wheels and you can drive it around like a car. I mean, it's, it's wild how much you can do. And it's wild how much you can do with so little. Like with one of the wings and two fans, you can make a functional plane <laughs> and just take that wherever you need to go. I mean, it's crazy. The plane is one thing that I think they realized was super broken because for some reason it disappears after a certain amount of time and nothing else does. Or at least nothing I can think of off the top of my head. There might be one other thing I remember. Maybe the hot air balloon disappears eventually as well. It does, yeah. But it's just really weird that, you know, like nothing else does. It's just like you can only get so high with flying machines. Is essentially what they're saying. Yeah. But anything else is fair game. I mean, I would I would still say that that I I get where they're coming from with that, just because there is a it would be really hard to make a game where there's no way to just circumvent the game itself by just flying over everything. But I I do think that they they did a pretty good job of leveling it out where that doesn't affect too too much. So we are planning on doing another episode about this game somewhere down the road. Once we've finished it, once we've had a little bit more time, once it won't be as catastrophic if we start dropping spoilers. There are some spoilers that I really want to talk to you guys about, and it's sad that you guys haven't got there yet. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One thing I do want to talk about, though, is how much we've already played. Like, do you all know roughly how much time you've spent in the game and all that stuff? I've played about 25 hours. I mean, if I had to guess over You're both over 35. I checked your Switch profiles, like, Three days ago. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm looking at mine yeah. right now. I have played 45 hours. And uh, I currently have like, I've done like 75 shrines. So about half of the shrines. I have like 15 hearts. And I'm like, I just got my last stamina upgrade. Like right before we started recording. Um, yeah. But I still have a lot to go. I don't have any fully upgraded armor. I've... I've barely scratched the surface on side on side quests. I probably haven't even done twenty percent of the side quest. It's I mean there is so much more to find in this game, and we've only had it for just over two weeks now, so it just hasn't. There has not been enough time to glean, you know, the hundreds of hours of content there's going to be in this game. Yeah, I've barely done anything else. I I would guess I'm probably around the same amount of time as Jordan. Hmm. I just don't have my switch next to me to check. But Jordan check it. said he checked three days ago and I was at 35. I would guess I'm at least at, you know, 43. Jordan, check Jason's. <laughs> you know? Oh, you've also played 45 hours. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So we've played exactly the same amount of Tears of the Kingdom. Um, yeah, it's been it's been great, though. Like, I have had minimal complaints. There have been some performance issues, but not nothing catastrophic. Just some frame drops when you're going into hectic areas or when you're you know flying over something really fast i do think the people that say they they're not having any performance issues are kidding themselves a bit but i do think the issues i've had have been pretty pretty minor i don't think i've ran into any issues that were more severe than what i was running into with breath of the wild so yeah for sure it's it's good enough it's playable (laughs) yeah yeah it's playable, I say, about a game I've put almost 50 hours in. <laughs> yeah. it's it, And I'm maybe three quarters of the way done of, like, just the main story. But <laughs> right. there's so much side content to dive into still. Yep. And I would say I'm only that close to done with the story because, like, I made a concerted effort the past couple of days to do a lot of, like, there are memories scattered around the map, just like in Breath of the Wild, that you need to go find. They're not as easy to find, or the the way that you find them is a little bit different, but basically the same. Uh, and then on top of that, there's, you know, all the dungeons that you run into. There are at least four of them. If I had to guess, there are probably six. Just doing all the side quests at every town, because <laughs> every town has like 10 side quests. Yeah. And so far, they've all been pretty good. Like, there are some fetch questy ones, but I would say by and large, like, the stuff I've done has actually been engaging, even if I wasn't getting, you know, a cool item out of it, which I do think it's also been more rewarding with actually giving useful stuff from the side quests as well. You know, one thing I do want to add is I think it's really cool how when you do the main quest at an area, it has a tangible effect on the world around you. Yeah, like, the NPCs Um, are totally different after you've finished. Yeah, like, they react to you different the environment changes sometimes i think the environment changes every time but it 
varies how drastic that is. And then sometimes you get like new stuff for your, uh, instead of the Sheikah slate, you have the Pura pad and you get new apps for that. <laughs> I'm going to call them apps instead of runes. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up. We're coming back to Tears of the Kingdom. We'll be playing it plenty more in the near future, but we'll be coming back for another episode sometime in the next couple of months. We do have some gaps as we're getting closer to the middle of the summer and we're finally getting through this influx of new games. So we'll have more to say very soon. But, uh, you know, I'll just reiterate what I started the episode by saying, and that this is one of the best sequels I've ever played. Like, it fixes all the things that I wasn't as enthusiastic about with the original but it's expanding upon all the things I liked in such new and exciting ways and just adding in entirely new things that are incredibly cool. So I don't really know how you do much better for a sequel than, than what Tears of the Kingdom has already done. It took what was already a fantastic framework and managed to make it better, at least in my opinion. I've heard a lot of more like people with negative opinions of this one. I, I feel like this game is somehow even more polarizing than Breath of the Wild was. Where it's just like, Breath of the Wild, people either, you know, liked it, loved it, or, you know, didn't like it. But this game, it seems like almost everyone falls into either the loved it or hate it category. <laughs> I haven't met anyone that's just like, Tears of the Kingdom is pretty okay. <laughs> Everyone's like, Tears of the Kingdom is great, or I hate Tears of the Kingdom. It's wonderful. I, I didn't think they could make a game that was better than Breath of the Wild. <laughs> I didn't think they could make a game, but they did. <laughs> but they blew me away. I thought this one was going to be a but movie. <laughs> they they did manage to make the sequel better than Breath of the Wild, and I I I don't know how they did that. Maybe they didn't, and this well, whole thing is a dream. And I'm gonna find out that the sequel to the Breath of the Wild is just a Triforce Heroes reskin. That would be so funny. You wake up from this dream where you've been playing Tears of the Kingdom for two weeks. Um, and also doing really boring stuff like going to work <laughs> and you wake up to find out it's actually just now like May 12th and the new Zelda game's about to come out and it's Quad Force Heroes. <laughs> you wake up and you realize you were that sad guy in the Nintendo trailer all along. <laughs> that guy that was like playing Tears of the Kingdom on the bus. <laughs> Anyways, I guess my final thoughts. Uh, Tears of the Kingdom is really good. It's the best sandbox game I've ever played, which is really impressive because I've played a lot of games that are just sandboxes. It's the best sandbox I guess it's kind of hard to compare. And also a good game. <laughs> yeah. It's the best sandbox game I've ever played, and then there's an entire other game. And that's also one of the best games I've ever played. <laughs> I would recommend Tears of the Kingdom to anyone that liked Breath of the Wild or anyone that really liked Banjo-Kazooie nuts. <laughs> the two types of gamers. Uh, it's gonna be. I'm assuming if you like Banjo-Kazooie nuts and bolts, you probably don't like good games very much. But you should give this one a shot, anyways. Yeah. Well, that's already a lot of Zelda talk, so I think that means it's time to pull the plug. I'm stepping in. I'm pulling the plug <laughs> first this time. <laughs> Have at it. I'm going to talk about the PlayStation Showcase that we got this last week. Uh, because it's the first time that I've walked away from a game showcase in a very long time. And actually thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, other than whichever whichever Nintendo Direct it was where they were just like, we're making Metroid Prime and it's out today. <laughs> but I don't even remember what else was revealed in that one. I just remember that part was wild. Uh, I just remember playing Metroid Prime Remastered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so PlayStation had a showcase, uh, showed off a bunch of new games, and gave us new information about some games we already knew was coming. Let's hit the highlights. All right. Yeah. Arizona Sunshine 2, <laughs> yeah. Crossfire Sierra Squad, <laughs> Five Nights at Freddy's Help Wanted 2. Yeah. Uh, no, I would say that the true highlights of this were... Uh, for Kalos Principle. <laughs> yeah. For entirely new reveals, the big one was definitely Metal Gear Solid Snake Eater. A uh, game that's been drastically overdue for some for a re remake or a re-release or something for a while, and thankfully we're getting both. <laughs> we found out that there is going to be a re-release of the HD collection of Metal Gear Solid games for the PlayStation consoles, which will be great. 
Uh, but we're also getting a from the ground up remake of Snake Eater, which I'm really excited about. Cause that's a game that I'm really, I really wanted to play for a long time, but I didn't vibe with Metal Gear Solid One mechanically. And I've heard the two and three are much better, but I haven't given them the time since we played Metal Gear Solid for the podcast. But I know that our from the ground up remake will get me playing the game again. You just wait till Year of the Gear. <laughs> yeah, which it's coming. <laughs> It's coming. It's gonna get here just a little bit too early, unfortunately. Like if if it were to have if like the if the re releases were to come out like a couple months later, they would line up with like exactly where we need them to in the calendar to go straight from Donkey Kong to Metal Gear. So I think it would be really cool if the new Metal Gear Solid Three remake came out, you know, around the same time we were starting Metal Gear Solid Three. Yeah. Just to really see the side by side. Yeah. So just like april of next year yeah. i'm just gonna manifest that <laughs> i don't think it's coming quite that soon if we had seen gameplay maybe but this was just a cinematic trailer so i don't i i don't have super high hopes <laughs> i don't want to talk about every game that they were revealed because it would take forever because it was over an hour long which was a lot of stuff um yeah so we're here to talk about the one game everyone cares about so buckle in for another 20 minutes on Dragon's Dogma 2. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was a couple games, specifically sequels or follow-ups or whatever you want to call them, that I was kind of surprised by. The big ones were Dragon's Dogma 2 and Marathon, which are both games that I've kind of had on the peripheral. I've tried Dragon's Dogma a couple times and just never vibed with it. But what they showed of 2 looks very, very cool. And I have... Uh, I'm sure that there are a lot of people that are absolutely losing their minds about this one because I know a handful of people that claim that Dragon's Dogma is the best RPG ever made and there was just nothing else even close, even though I did not like it very much at all. (laughs) I'm very interested in Marathon, but it's a very cautious interest because they did announce that it's going to be a PvP extraction shooter. Uh, which I don't know what that means, but I do know what PvP means. I don't like that. Yeah. The more I I look into what an extraction shooter is, the less I understand what it is. I mean, it's definitely a got, new concept. Got any examples for us? At first, I was thinking it was like a Rainbow Six Siege type thing. Now, what I'm starting to get is it's closer to a battle royale. I I have not found a I, game that serves as an example yet. I think the closest. That the what came to mind for me was the uh, division games where they had that section in the game that was like PvP VE where you have teams that are fighting each other, but you're also fighting NPCs for loot, but other players can like attack you and steal that loot. That's kind of how I'm picturing it. It might be just PvP. There might not be that NPC presence whatsoever, but I think it's something in that vein. All right. We've wasted enough time. Let's talk about (laughs) Spider-Man 2. Yeah, that was what we were all waiting for. Um, And unfortunately, we don't have a release date, which is a real bummer when you host a video game podcast. (laughs) Uh, But what we saw looks so cool. Which isn't surprising, but still. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was talking to Jason on the stream earlier. You know, I would say Final Fantasy 16 is the game I'm most excited for for this year, but for the rest of this year. But Spider-Man 2 is the game I'm most confident will be like an excellent game this year. Like I'm going in with the same expectations I had for God of War Ragnarok, where it's like if it's even just close to the predecessor, it's fine. Uh, but it looks like it's going even bigger, which I'm really excited about. We got to see Craven and the symbiote, and we know Lizard's going to be important in this one. Uh, I did a lot to set up narratively, you know, what's going on narratively, but... Everyone's got web wings. Yeah. If you remember when we talked about Spider-Man, I think it was one of Jackson's pulling the plug segments. I complained that none of the costumes in the game had web wings. But they added a wingsuit mechanic, so presumably every suit will have web wings now. <laughs> yeah, they're making up for it just for your sake. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we got to see a lot narratively and mechanically, and I mean, all of it just looks so cool. 
uh, combat looks faster and punchier with more variety to it. Exploration looks like they're throwing in, you know, some really cool mechanical stuff like the wingsuit and more interactive environments and just a a pretty significant visual jump here where everything just looks that much more real and that much more vibrant. And I was just really, really impressed with what we saw so far. And I am ecstatic that this game is still coming this year, even if we don't know exactly when. (laughs) I can't wait to play it. I'm really hoping that we get to explore Queens and like Brooklyn because supposedly they're adding them. I don't know if I've seen official confirmation on that. Uh, but the biggest thing is, like, I want to actually be able to swing around those areas because exploring Manhattan's kind of gotten boring. <laughs> We've done it a lot. In two games. Yeah. And I've put, you know, probably 50 hours into both of them. I can't. Probably more than that. I can't wait to play this even more times than I played the 2018 one. Jackson's never going to be able to review good. another game again because he'll just be playing yeah. Spider-Man 2 on repeat. I'll, yeah, I'll just be playing Spider-Man 2 for the rest of time. Well, it'll be like The Last of Us where you have to play all three of them. That's right. I'll have to play all... Th- anytime I go to play one, I'll need to play all the ones before it. Exactly. Except for uh, Last of Us Left Behind. You would never play that. I actually have played that. It's very good. Very short, though. Every time I've played it, I beat it in one sitting. <laughs> They also showed off VR mode for Resident Evil 4, and uh, I think that's the thing that's going to make me get a PlayStation VR. Yeah, that looked very cool. And it's uh, it's a game that I think will flow into VR very, very well. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see how that plays out. Plus, I'm really excited to Roundhouse kick my TV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're going to add a foot sensor just for, uh, just for Resident Evil. So. While I'm on a phone call, no less. <laughs> take that jackson <laughs> it, it was a good one i'm i'm excited for what playstation has to come even if a lot of what they showed off wasn't actually playstation exclusives but yeah that that's gonna do it for my pull in the plug it's just a lot of that and uh uh tears of the kingdom these last couple weeks <laughs> so jackson what else have you been into say the thing so i kind of got two things to talk about this time around both of them are destiny related. Though. Yeah. <laughs> uh one last season, season of the Defiance just ended. So I want to do a quick wrap up with that. It was all right. It was fine. <laughs> it, yeah, it was all right. It wasn't great by any means, but it was all right. The activity was fun. I'll come back to it every now and then. Um there were some cool cool weapons. It's the first season where I crafted all the weapons within the season. Because you just get so many Ingrams, which is a good change. I don't want to have to be working on other seasons loot three seasons later. <laughs> I got other seasons to work on, man. Uh, but it was it was a good season. Uh, not that great of a DLC, but good season. The other thing is since that one ended, we have a new season. Oh. Season of the Deep. Which we're only in the first week of, so there's not too much yet. But I think is off to an alright start. <laughs> just like anything with Destiny. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, new activities are cool. We go underwater. Uh, I've seen a lot of people say that they really do not like the underwater sections. I do like them. We haven't finished the new dungeon yet, but we are at the final boss, and we're probably going to do that later today after recording this. Kind of funny to talk about something cool... we eh. did two-thirds of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love doing two-thirds yeah. of the dungeon, man. That's why I'm only... <laughs> I haven't unlocked any of the sages in Tears of the Kingdom because I only yeah. do two-thirds of the dungeons. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the regular season activities are pretty cool. One of the uh, missions has a servitor named Jaws, so that's nice. I want more stuff like that. Like the season... Is that like a reference to something? I don't... I haven't figured it out yet. It's a joke about how they don't actually have Jaws because they're servitors. Oh, yeah. yeah. Robots don't yeah. need to eat. I I wish they'd do more stuff like that. You usually only see stuff like that in special dungeons like Grass of Avarice, which is all about weird crossover stuff, and Dares of Eternity. You don't really see funny things like that elsewhere. <laughs> I want more of it. But yeah, Seasons got a lot more to go, so I will definitely have more to say later. Uh, that is, This has been This Week with Jackson on Destiny. Jason, what do you got for us? Well, I haven't had time to play other games because I've been playing uh, Tears of the Kingdom, the 
renowned uh, best-selling sequel to oh, the Breath tell me of the about Wild. it. <laughs> no. Okay. So basically, instead, I've been on uh, what used. Well, I started watching it on HBO Max, but then midway through watching it, uh, HBO Max was brutally murdered and replaced with a new skinwalker <laughs> called Max. Yeah. But I've been watching Succession, which is a pretty good show. It's one of those like prestige television shows that HBO is pretty famous for, but I've never really watched most of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of attracted me to this one is I I heard people talking about it on Um Actually over on Dropout. And I was like, that show sounds kind of funny. And then I looked into it more. And I'm like, oh, this is basically Arrested Development, but like serious or more serious. Yeah. Like it's still uh, like a it's more of like a dark comedy instead of, you know, Arrested Development was just a standard sitcom. Yeah. As unstandard as it was. <laughs> yeah. But Succession's really good. You know, it's all about, like, the political and... I say political. It's, like, business intrigue of this family. Essentially, the father of the family is, you know, getting older. And he's, you know, kind of starting to succumb to mental illness as he, you know, like, not able to make it to the bathroom, stuff like that anymore. Or he's having a rough time at it. And it's mostly about him trying to maintain control over both his family and the company while they are trying to either, you know, kind of separate themselves from him or take control of the company, stuff like that. It's really good. I would highly recommend watching it. I didn't give a great description of what it is, but... Yeah, um, it's on my short. If you list. like Arrested Development, but you were like, "Man, I wish this was dark and depressing." <laughs> Man, have I got a show for you? <laughs> yeah, Th- this is one that I'm definitely planning to check out in the near future. I mean, I've heard so many good things from so many people that I gener- generally value their opinions on. So it- it's definitely been on the list for a while. That's really all I had for today. Well, I don't remember how we close this out because normally I pass yeah. it over to someone else. Yep. Um, I say that just about does it for another episode of Totally Biased Media. If you would like to reach out to us, there are a handful of ways you can do that. First, on Twitter at TBMcast. Second, on Instagram at Totally Biased Media. And third, you can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Uh, the next big game we're going to be reviewing is Final Fantasy 16, but it's still about a month out. Um, so in the in the meantime, we're getting into the driver's seat of Lego 2K Drive. <laughs> uh, we're going to build some Lego cars. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a fun one while we're waiting on the next wave of huge games to release. So if you've played Lego 2K Drive, then send your reviews to any of our socials or to our email Uh, We would love to read them on the episode. Let's see. We've been streaming on Twitch just about every week. We're about halfway through the year of the Kong. We're officially through Donkey Kong Country 3 as of the day we're recording this. Uh, So next we're starting up Donkey Kong 64, which if you know even a little bit about the game, you know it's wild. So there will be some some cool stuff to see there. Uh, We do that just about every weekend. Um you can follow us on twitch.tv slash totallybiasedmedia to get notified when we're going live and all that jazz pretty well covers it. So, for the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.